Chapter 13 of Daylight Land by W. H. H. Murray. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 13 The Great Glacier. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. Sweeping around the point of a nameless mountain, we glided into the dim, narrow vista of a snowshed, five hundred yards perhaps in length. Here and there its gloom was crossed with shafts of light and checkered with gleaming rays which made the long vista a kaleidoscope of jet-black blocks bordered by bright many-colored lines changeful and lively presenting to the gazer's eye a lovely picture to look upon while far beyond the aperture stared at us like a great white expressionless eye at which we rushed with rattle and roar and burst of thunderous sound from wheel and truck hissing brakes and belching funnel but which unfrightened stared steadily at us without shrinking as we came hurtling on in a moment we were shot out of the monstrous tunnel framed with gigantic timbers strongly braced as is the curvature of the world on which the avalanche falls harmless and over whose roof angled truly to the mountain slope and riveted into its side the awful landslide wide and long with the width and length of acres its trees all standing and its huge boulders undisturbed, pours its vast mass into the ravine below, leaving this magnificent device of man's invention unshaken and unstirred. Onward we whirled, the majestic forest trees on either side. Upon our left a mountain slope, wide, high, lifted, an immense stretch of sylvan surface. On our right a dark, deep ravine, down whose black bottom a glacial torrent drew its foaming line when suddenly our engine curved sharply to the right and lo a spectacle of spectacles stood full before our wondering eyes heavens exclaimed the judge excitedly was there ever such a sight those who have travelled who have wandered far and seen much will tell you that out of the mass of things places and faces they have seen a few alone remain fixed and clearly outlined in memory Many are the pictures we hang on memory's walls, but with the passage of time most fade into blackness. Only a few hold their colors fast, and fewer yet brighten them as the years go on. Here an ocean scene, a storm, a drifting wreck lightning-lighted, or scudding like a ghost of a ship through the tempestuous moonlight, or maybe a face, a single face, old or young, happy or sad, living or dead a friend's, a foe's, a stranger's, a stretch of forest, a mountain view, a torrent bursting from some savage gorge down which chaos hurriedly trailed, followed by her uniform remnants, when driven from the face of the earth by the growing order of the skies. So travelers testify, and thus we who gazed, gray-headed wanderers all of us, knew it would be with this spectacle which stood in startling clearness before our eyes, and which had risen into view on the instant from the depths of the savage Selkirks. It was a picture as clearly cut as some old cameo edged by that antique skill that now is dead, as pronounced in the lines of its drafting, as strongly contrasting colors and nature might make it, so varied in the figures introduced, so strange and even startling in the grouping of its related parts, that upon the instant it dominated the mind and boldly challenged forgetfulness. "'Never did I see such a picture,' said Mr. Pepperell in a low voice. "'Never, 
not even on the Fraser or the Thompson in the old days. And this is the picture we saw, translated from its majesty and glories down to the paltry measurement and dull neutrality of petty, colorless words. A little plat rescued from chaos by man's love of order, a level space of scant size made by ironing out the corrugation of the hills, on this little platform or plateau of level space, a cottage, unique in style, neither house nor chalet, but fitting harmoniously to the landscape, in front a space graveled and platted for flowers, a summer garden in miniature, in the center of it a fanciful fountain jetted its glacial spray upward, where the wind caught it and blew it at random through the bright sunlight, so that in flying and falling it filled all the air with broken pearls, fragments of silver, and sparkling prismatic fire. Far below the scant level space with its graveled walks, flashing fountain, and widely verandahed miniature mansion, dropped a gorge through which a glacial torrent whirled its white line of hoarse noise. Sheer upward lifted the opposite mountain, a full ten thousand feet, its bold summit of steel-gray rock well-named Eagle Peak, for only an eagle's wing might reach it. Down its imposing front a torrent foamed from top to base. Slowly through the long, lofty distance our admiring eyes swept their gaze until they rested upon the buttressed battlements of Sir Donald, which, pointed like a pyramid, interrogates the mysteries of star and sky, the golden course of wheeling orbs, and meaning of all that blue depth and distance which lie level, serene, and still above the storms which vex the lower atmospheres. That monstrous shaft, said the judge as we all stood gazing at Sir Donald, is a solemn interrogation of what is above and beyond. Look at this, said Mr. Pepperell calmly as he faced about. In the rear of the chalet a magnificent forest growth swelled loftily upward, symmetrical, proportionate, a lovely, harmonious whole, a sylvan pitcher, vast of height, framed by the sky in massive blue, and fretted along its edges with scuds of mist and changeful drifts of cloud. Never had the eye of one of us wood-wanderers seen a lovelier exhibition of forest growth, abundant, dense, soft-toned, untouched by fire, unscarred by violence of slide or avalanche, a landscape scene of unmatched perfection. Slowly our eyes wandered down the pass and clomb the hermit cange, peak by peak stole along its slopes of ice and crept beneath the glaciers, filling every gorge, hanging poised, ready to drop, or held jammed in vast amphitheaters, where they had been held beyond the count of years and where they will remain, unmoved, unmelted, until time is ended or the present order of creation passes away. So we stood steadfastly gazing at the vast vision, enraptured, when an exclamation from a man behind us faced us around, and there, to the north and east, we saw a sight which may not perhaps be matched in its grandeur and surroundings on this earth of ours. A glacier, vast, lofty, immense, buttressed, fissured, creviced, a section of the Mississippi tilted up obliquely and frozen solid, the St. Lawrence pouring boldly over a mountain range ten thousand feet above you and turned on the instant into ice, stiffened solid at its maddest plunge, a creation of ten thousand years, a monument above those past dead years, 
which all the rain and shine of other equal years to come will not efface, standing cold, monstrous, motionless, silent, sublime, within a distance so short from our parlor car that even the weakest woman or smallest child in it might, by an easy stroll, stand under its ponderous front. Heavens, how small, how feeble, how insignificant seemed the engine of our heavy train with its sobs and pantings and puny puffs of power beside that monstrous creation of ages, that landscape of frozen force, that overhanging world of chained energy which, should nature ever loosen the chilled links which chained it to its mountain pass, would sweep our engine, train, and yonder house away like chips, I crush and grind and pulverize them all to finest dust, so fine that, were it dry, the winds might lift it as they lift ashes and blow it through the air, invisible to mortal eye. Never shall it be said, exclaimed the judge, that I came to such an environment of majesty as this and passed heedlessly on. Here we will stop a day and a night and see the sunset splendor and the sunrise glory on these peaks and a moonlight whiten the surface of that frozen field. There is not ice enough in Switzerland to make that single glacier yonder. Let the train move on. We four have wandered on the earth too widely and seen too many of its wonders not to recognize the extraordinary and do homage to it. And so the train rolled down the grade, around the swell of the mountain beyond, and left us four gray-headed boys standing above the glacial torrent, gazing and wondering. That afternoon we took a trail an easy way, which led us to the glacier's front. Slowly we drew our line of progress toward it. The fit mood was on us all. We were alone, we four. We were intelligent enough to appreciate the awful phenomenon. We saw it with the eyes of many years. We could measure it by European comparison. We could weigh it in the scales of world-wide knowledge. Two of us had footed the Alpine passes. One had seen the Himalayas. Another had wintered within the Arctic Circle. Slowly we moved forward, a few rods of motion onward, and we would pause. We were all eyes, all feeling. We felt we were approaching a fragment of eternity. We were drawing nigh to and gazing at a bit of the everlasting. Before us was the work of ages. Here the centuries had stopped. Between these monstrous mountains, time had come to a full halt, powerless to go one foot farther. Here before us, with folded wings, white-faced, hoary-headed, his scythe held in his stiffened hands, we saw him stand, a statue of ice. Older than Rome, older than Egypt, older than man, murmured the judge solemnly as he gazed. In front of the glacier was a great round wall of sand, of cobbles, of boulders. Its pressure drove downward to the bedrock of the world and plowed the surface earth. This plow plows slowly, but it plows deep, remarked Colonel Goff as he ran his eye along the huge ridge. Think who studies it, said the judge. The sun sank from sight behind the western ridge. The gray shaft of Sir Donald flushed, reddened, and then blazed as with fire. From amid the dark firs above us, night softly shook her raven plumage and feathered us with gloom. Then she spread her sable wings. She soared upward, and the world darkened. 
Anon she sailed, a vast formation of blackness above the peaks. The sky saw her coming and welcomed her with every window lighted. The Indian myth was realized. The caven brooded the world. But the great glacier amid the gloom still showed whitely. From between the pillars of darkness, from the cavernous blackness of night, it looked forth like the face of a dead man from the mouth of a grave. Older than night, and hence stronger, whispered the judge. Thus we four sat in the darkness, watching and pondering, while through the gloom and stillness of glacial torrent, at our feet tore its line of hoarse noise. See, I exclaimed, the glacier is growing whiter, its paleness begins to brighten. Look, there is a gleam in that upper crevice. "'And see, see that flash of white!' "'The moon! The moon!' cried the judge. "'The moon is rising! Now we'll see the spectacle of a lifetime!' "'Excuse me, reader. I cannot write it down. "'I know the limitation of letters. "'Even could I tint them with all the colors of the palette, it were in vain. "'Imagine our position, standing in that gorge, deep, deep down at the very roots of those monstrous mountains, within the enclosure of their awful environment, the stillness which the roar of the torrent divided, but did not disturb, the whole world black with the blackness of night when it smothers the woods out of sight of the eye, the great glacier in front of us, vast, monstrous, formless, as it lay dimly outlined in the gloom. Then imagine it growing, growing, growing upon the sight. See it brighten and widen out into view. See the gleams begin to run over it. See that flash of white fire strike the crust and run crinkling along the lofty ridge until it connects the two opposite peaks with a line of living light. See the crevices gleam and glisten brighter and brighter. Behold the sparkles and flashes of fire start up here and there at random flash, shift, and fade, and then, as the rounded orb, vast in size, intense, rose majestically above the summit and looked calmly and, as it seemed, admiringly down upon it. Behold in your imagination what we saw, the monstrous mountain darkly forested round about us, between which wide as a landscape lay the great glacier bathed in soft white radiance from side to side, from base to summit, and above it the dome of the sky, and suspended from it the round moon. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge, said the judge reverently, and we turned slowly from the sublime spectacle before us and started to pick our way carefully down the trail. We had seen the glacier. It was enough. End of chapter 13